0: Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Thanks for being here on campus and online. It's great to see guests here as well. We've had a tremendous amount of guests showing up every Sunday since we've been open, and so that's exciting and uh, glad that you're here and to worship with us. Hey, have you ever heard or said the phrase, the struggle is real? Anybody? Anybody know that? Yeah, uh, definitely very popular now, right, as we go through all this craziness. Hey, by the way, it's good to see you students back up to the front thank you we need you here all right just know that so uh, the struggle is real it's definitely very ramped up right now because of what we've been going through but it's been around for years and so we talk about that and and so I, I wanted to know really kind of where it came from and the real definition so i went to my favorite dictionary and yours the urban dictionary right you love it you got it you read it and this is what the urban dictionary says it is an ironic saying when a person wants to express that they're facing an undesirable difficulty That they are working through right okay so we get that it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek the struggle is real well actually i think paul the apostle paul could have coined that phrase back when he wrote the letter to the romans because in the chapter 7 we're going to look at today this is really how you could define what he is getting getting at in his words that the struggle is real though it's not tongue-in-cheek this is not ironic this is reality as he expresses to us and I think connects to us. I think we're all going to be able to connect to his words today talking about the struggle is real. And here's the struggle. And he's writing to Christians here in Rome. And so this identifies with those of us who are Christ followers today because I know that I have received the divine nature through the Holy Spirit of God. The minute that I gave my life to Jesus Christ, asking him to be the leader and forgiver of my life, God deposited his spirit within me. So now I have the divine nature inside. The struggle is I still have that sin nature that I battle. Can I get an amen? Anybody else there? Could be just me and I'll just go home, right? But that's, that's the struggle. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I have a hard time doing it. I know what I'm not supposed to do, but that still seems to come very easy. And so there's the struggle. The old us that last week we saw Romans 6, Paul says you are dead to sin. So we're dead to that old way and we're alive to God. You can't be dead to sin unless you're alive to God. You can't be alive to God until you're dead to sin. So, okay, we got that. But by that means sin has no power over us anymore. It's not our identity. It's not determining our future, our eternity. But we still struggle. Let's be real. We still struggle with it. The struggle is still real. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open to Romans chapter 7. We're going to follow through with Paul's words. Last week he admonished us to live as dead to sin but alive to God how shall we who are dead to sin continue in it doesn't make sense so okay intellectually i get that but practically it's very difficult to live that out so he he starts out in this part of chapter 7 verse 14 kind of describing the situation that we all face okay as christians the situation we all face. He writes this in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, the law of God, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Okay, so he starts out just identifying who who we were. We were born into sin. We lived in sin. We were sinners. We're still sinners. God's law is right. It's perfect. It's spiritual. I am unspiritual. I am not perfect. I am not right on my own. So here lies the problem. Now, there's a great debate about this whole section of the letter. Is Paul talking about his life before he came to Christ, which seems to make sense, and the argument for that is very strong? Or is he talking about now that he is a Christ follower and this struggle occurs? And the argument for that is very strong. I think another thing that Paul is alluding to in this passage is what I would call carnal Christianity, carnal being worldly. In fact, the Greek word for carnal means belonging to the world, natural or weak. So carnal Christianity, a Christian living for the world, still honestly still having a love for the world, maybe even a little bit more love for the world than love for God. We talked about last week the word sanctification. Okay, So when you came to Christ, those of you who have, at that point, your sanctification began, and sanctification is a process leading us to be more like Jesus. We didn't have it down at that moment when you gave your life to Christ. We're learning and growing and maturing. That's the idea, that we're maturing in our faith. But it is a process. We're not there yet. We actually won't get there yet until we're in heaven and we receive the glorification, but we're in process right now. We're at different stages of the process, each one of us. But hopefully we're all in process. But what happens sometimes in a process, there's stagnation. We, we reach a point, we used to call it backsliding. We reach a plateau where we're, we, don't, we don't feel like we're growing anymore. We're praying. We don't seem like we're moving. We're not maturing. We're still kind of, we feel kind of stuck. Spiritually, we're in a state of arrested development. Okay, So we just kind of feel like we're right here, and we've been trying everything we can to get out of it, but it doesn't seem like anything's moving. And so I think this is another thing that Paul is alluding to here, this carnal Christianity. Now he describes this a little more clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter three. Listen to what he writes, talking about this tension that we have as Christians and maybe at a state of being arrested development. Brothers and sisters, I cannot address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Okay, he's writing to Christians because he calls them brothers and sisters. And I can't write to you because you're not living by the Spirit. You're still worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I will follow uh, Paul, and another says, I will follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? So in this passage, Paul kind of breaks down for us a little more clearly what a definition of a carnal Christian might be. So so three things kind of stick out here in this passage. First of all, carnal Christians are experience-oriented. They're always looking for the next great experience. They love living on the mountaintop. They don't ever want to go to the valley. And so they're just living from one great experience to the next. And when there's no great experience going on, they're depressed, and they begin to question everything. And so they begin to to move around trying to find something that's going to create that experience for them. They come to church looking, I want an experience every time I come. Now, our goal is to help you experience God. Our goal is not to entertain. Our goal is not to keep you on that mountaintop, right? Our goal is to lead you to the Father. Our worship teams do a great job of leading us to the throne. This is our goal experts are telling us now in the church world that they believe that once this pandemic is over let's say we have a vaccine there's a cure there's a a belief and i don't know how they came to this and i hope it's not true that one-third of former churchgoers before covid will never come back one third of those who used to regularly attend church will never come back and it's not because of fear of the virus it's because they've just gotten out of the habit in their mind church is not that important to them anymore Now, I pray that that's not true, and I understand people are not back yet because they're still concerned, and I get that. That's legit, but past all of that, I hope that we don't experience that, but I would assume that a lot of those that might fall into that category, what we would describe as carnal Christians, they don't see the importance of gathering together, although the Bible is very clear of why this is important, and so they struggle. They look for experience. They're still looking to the world for happiness and fulfillment. They spend time on pleasure, but they don't spend time in prayer. They don't know how to feed themselves on the Word of God. They don't know how to feed themselves spiritually. I can't tell you how many times, and and this is just Ronnie talking, when someone tells me, why I left that church because I wasn't being fed. (laughs) I, I mean, the hairs, you know, the little horns kind of, but so many times what that statement really reveals is I don't know how to feed myself. So I'm totally relying on others to feed me. And I think that's more of an issue with the person than it is with the church. But there's that idea of I've I've got to be fit. I've got to be entertained. I've I've got to be excited. And so people will church hop, what we call them church hoppers, well, hey, there's a new church in town and it's big and it's shiny and it's great, so let's go over there. The programs are rocking. Everybody's going over there, so let's go over there. There's no understanding about being a covenant church member, that when you join a local body, you are joining in covenant with your brothers and sisters in Christ for that place, for the good, the bad, and the ugly. We don't just bail because it gets difficult. But if you're carnal, if all you're looking for is the experience, then you'll be easily swayed by Whatever. The second thing that I think describes, according to this passage, a carnal Christian is that they are easily deceived. Easily deceived. In fact, all you have to do is say, well, God told me, or the Bible says this, and they will follow you. Because they don't know the voice of God. Because they don't know what the word says. (laughs) Because they've never ingested it on their own. And so all you have to do is say that phrase. And if you look over the world, there are thousands of megachurches that are super unhealthy because they appeal to the carnal Christian. They appeal to the experience. They, they've, they've found the niche of how to attract those who are not going deep, but are looking for the experience. And we'll give you the experience, and we'll tell you this is what God told me to do, and this is what the Bible says, because you know they're not going to know. And these bad churches are growing by the thousands. One of the main culprits of this in our world today is what we call the prosperity gospel, prosperity doctrine, word of faith. Speak it into existence. You and I have the ability to speak it into existence according to this doctrine. In fact, Jesus saved you so you can be healthy and wealthy. And if you're not healthy and wealthy, it's because you don't have enough faith. So, it's your problem, not God's problem, right? So, you need to make it happen. You need to manufacture it. So, people buy into this. In fact, if you have never seen the documentary, The American Gospel, I think there's a second, there's a sequel to it now. I haven't seen the sequel, but I saw the original. You need to see it. If you're a Christian, you need to see that. The American Gospel, it's a documentary, two and a half hours long, talks about the prosperity doctrine here in America. And how thousands and thousands and thousands are being tricked, are being led astray by, all kind, by deliberate actions. It's, it's not like these people just don't know any better, the, these leaders. It's like they are intentionally doing this. And thousands are being sucked in and being led astray by false teaching and false doctrine. Because growing Christians can discern the truth when they hear it. If you're spending time in the truth, in the Word of God, you're going to know it when you hear it. If if you are connected to the Holy Spirit of God living within you, bells are going to go off when you hear things that are false. The Holy Spirit gives us discernment and wisdom to know what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is lies. But so many of us have just plateaued and we're good. (laughs) We had our salvation experience, we know we're going to heaven when we die, so whatever else is just good. The third thing is that carnal Christians are given to envy and division. Paul says some of you are saying you're on Paul's team, some of you say you're on Apollos' team. So here we see that they are divisive, even who they follow. <laughs> They're misunderstanding. Carnal Christians just want to be on the winning team. I just want to be where it's happening, right? I just want to be on the one that's that's doing good and make me feel good and everything's great. And so they cause division and envy. Well, my denomination is better than yours, or my church is better than yours, or I'm better than you. And it causes division, it causes pain. I call this bare minimum Christianity. Bare minimum Christians, they're still addicted to sin, even though it's killing them. They know that it is, God's made that very clear. But they're still addicted to sin. I was reading an article this past week about a a toad in Australia. It's called the Australian cane toad, and this is a poisonous toad. And the problem they've had in Australia is a lot of, especially dogs, love to lick on these frogs because they love the taste of the poison that it secretes. But it makes the dogs very sick, and, and many die from it. Now we all know that dogs are better than cats, right? So that's that's given. That's in the Bible, but. Still, let's be honest, sometimes dogs are dumb. Right? I mean, they eat stuff they really shouldn't eat, right? And so there's this problem that these dogs are licking these toads and getting sick and even dying. But the problem is, even if they don't die, they get well, and they go back and they lick toads again, right? So like, come on, come on, Fido, stop doing that, right? But they just kind of keep going back. They know it's wrong, they know it's harmful, they know it's going to make them sick, but they keep going. That's what Paul's saying to us. This sin is an addiction to us. And we know it's wrong. We know it's destructive. We know it's painful. We know it's going to cause suffering, but we still go back and do it. Why do we do it? And this is the tension that Paul draws us to. And there's a fourth sign of carnal Christians, because I know what you're saying. Probably right now people's faces are coming to mind. Boy, she needs to hear this it's because she's, Yeah. I wish that I wish he was here today because he really needs to hear this. The fourth sign of being a carnal Christian is being judgmental. <laughs> right. So rather than start to think about how that other person needs to hear this, let's think about how maybe we need to hear it. Right. Or rather than judging them, let's see how we can help them if it's true in their life. Look at verse fifteen. Here we go. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. Or what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. When I read that, it sounds like Paul's making an excuse, doesn't it? It's like a cop-out. But that's not what he's saying at all, because again, he reminded us in the last chapter that we are dead to sin. And so he's talking about the struggle that we all fight, the situation that we're all in, and now he's talking about the struggle that we all fight. And that is the, the good law of God versus the sin nature, the law of sin that still exists in our life. Though it has no power over us, still we battle it. Because we learned last week that Christians are set free or pardoned from the penalty of sin, which is eternal death, separation from God, and hell. We're set apart from that. We were set apart at our justification. Use the illustration last week of standing before a judge with a guilty record, and the judge looks at you and says, I've expunged your record. There is no record. You are free to go. So in Christ, when we accept Christ as a leader and forgiver of our life, God, the judge, says to us, you are, you are free to go. Your record has been expunged. Someone paid your price. Now go live accordingly. So we've been justified. We are being sanctified, learning how to live according to being live to God. Ultimately, we'll be glorified when we're in heaven, but we still have this struggle. The law is good, Paul says. When I stop and think of all the things I want to do but I just can't seem to do them and all the things I hate doing, I still do those, that points me to the law. And the law is good. It's good to know the Old Testament. It's good to know the Ten Commandments because when's the last time you kept them all? (laughs) The law's purpose is to show us how depraved we really are, how unworthy, how much we need the grace of God. The law shows us how sinful we are. And the law itself cannot keep us from spiritual death because none of us can keep it perfectly. We've made effort, we've done better, but none of us can keep it perfect. Yet we would have to be perfect in order to achieve heaven. So we've already blown that. So it had to be another solution. And here's the struggle we live in the already not yet tension. We're already made children of God at the point of our conversion, the point of our salvation, but we're not yet complete. We're not yet totally away from temptation and totally away from sin. That will happen one day in heaven, praise God, but right now we're still in that battle. The war has been won, but we still fight the daily battle, don't we? We're already saved, but we're not yet complete. And so we struggle with this, and here's the tension. Because we live under a new regime now. The regime of Jesus Christ. The old regime still exists, haunts us maybe at times, but it has no power over us, but it's still there. The only power it has is when we give it power, and we struggle to do that because that's the nature of sin. Sin dissolves our willpower. Paul says, I don't want to do these things, but I do them. In my will, in my spirit, I talk myself out of it. I don't want to do these things, but I still fall Sin dissolves self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, right? So I ought to be able to have self-control, but yet sin works against it. Why? Because sin is addictive. Every sin has addictive potential. I love what Tim Keller said about this addiction of sin. He said, this is how addiction works. You have a stressful event in your life, and you choose to deal with that stress, stress with an agent. Alcohol, drugs, sex, money, whatever it is. Eventually, you know that you are in the inescapable stranglehold of an addiction when you look to the very thing that causes you problems in your life to give you relief from the problems in your life. He's right, isn't he? And that's the cycle. I know how painful this is, but I'm so tired of feeling this way, I'm going to go back and do it again. And that's the cycle that Paul's talking about. That's the cycle we find ourselves in. We're torn between willing and doing. In my will, I don't want to do it, but I do it. (laughs) Because it doesn't seem to matter how much willpower I exert to break this cycle of sin in my life. I, I fail every time. I do it. I feel guilty. I confess. I repent. I get help maybe even for a couple of weeks. I'm good, and then two weeks later I'm back doing the same thing. Again, Fully knowing what it's going to cost me. I love what Oscar Oscar Wilde says, I can resist anything except temptation. (laughs) Because willpower is not enough. Your willpower is not enough to break this cycle. Look at verse 17. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. He wants to do good, but that indwelling sin makes it difficult. That sin that he hasn't fully released to God, that sin that he still believes the lie of temptation, that sin that he still allows to linger in his life makes it difficult. And so he's realizing here, by himself, he cannot do good. There is nothing good within me. I may want to do good, but I can't because I'm not good. (laughs) I'm a sinner. I'm sinful. Look at verse 19. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living me that does it. Again, it's not the lack of desire. It's not the lack of effort on Paul's part. The sin nature is very alluring and of ourselves. We do not have the power to resist it. We will give in. Verse 21, "'So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to to death. And that phrase, subject to death, there was a Tuscan king by the name of Mazentius, And when they would capture enemies, he would torture the living enemies by tying to the person that was alive a dead corpse of one of his fellow countrymen. So if an enemy was killed in battle and they captured some alive, they would tie a dead soldier to a live one, and make him carry that dead corpse around. Ultimately, that person would get diseased or something would happen, and that person would die. It was a slow, tormenting death But they had to carry around a dead corpse. Can you imagine being tied to this dead corpse walking around? But that's exactly what Paul is saying. That sin nature to us is a dead corpse. Why do we keep tying ourselves to it? Why do we keep going back there? Why do we keep carrying it around, not thinking it's going to cause destruction in our life? Again, intellectually, that doesn't make sense, but practically, we do it all the time. The law shows us we can't win, that we are all sinners. And honestly, we know in this process of sanctification, we cannot be sinless until we get to heaven, we're, we're still going to trip up. Paul's talking about that habitual sin in our life, continual sin in our life, not letting have a stronghold, but sometimes we, we trip up and we sin. Now, we can't be sinless, but we can sin less. <laughs> if sin has no power over our life, we can sin less. I can sin less today than I did yesterday, and that's sanctification. That's the process of becoming more like Jesus that we finalized in heaven But thank goodness he doesn't stop here. It's a small verse, but it's a powerful nugget of truth. In verse 25 when he writes, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Aren't you glad he gets to that point? Thanks be to God who has delivered me, who rescues me because of what Jesus Christ did. And here finally is the solution that we can all find. The solution that we find. We're all in the same situation. We all understand this struggle, but there is a solution. When I was in college, uh, I was a lifeguard uh, at our school uh, because I I love saving people. Um, And so as we were trained to be a lifeguard, one of the things they taught us, if you have someone that's a potential drowning victim and you go out to save them, if they're still flailing and trying to save themselves, then you just have to back off until they finally wear down and start to sink. (laughs) Because if you come upon them and they're they're swinging their arms, they're trying to save themselves, they're probably going to knock you out, and then you're both going to die. So it's dangerous. So you have to just kind of back off. Even though they're coming at you, you have to back up until they're ready to stop fighting and let go. Sounds horrible, sounds cruel, right? But you're not going to be able to save them until they stop fighting. And that's what Paul is saying to us. Stop trying to fight this battle on your own. You don't have the power. You don't have the willpower. You're not going to win. You are a sinner. (laughs) And sometimes we have to drown before we realize it, don't we? Sometimes we have to get so far under (laughs) that we're willing to say, "I, I can't fix this. And that's what our heavenly lifeguard is waiting to hear. You're right. You can't, so stop trying and let me do it. And then we can rest in the arms of our Father. Some of us right now are still trying to fight. We're still trying to fix this. If I I can just do this, if I can just do this, if I can just do this, then I got it. No, you don't, and you won't. (laughs) So save yourself some heartache and just let go. In fact, if you're here today and you say, I'm tired of fighting, I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of feeling insignificant. I'm tired of feeling unloved. I'm tired of feeling rejected. I'm tired of feeling all alone. I'm tired of this struggle. I'm tired of searching the world to try to find answers, to try to find a healing for my soul. All the world provides me is, is hurting my soul even more. I'm tired of this battle. I'm tired of this cycle. I don't want to do it anymore. Then you need to hear what I have to say next. <laughs> because what Paul is saying to us, the solution is, to cry out to god to cry out to a god who will hear you and he won't point a bony finger in your face and say i told you so and he won't say you're worthless because you figured this you've been doing this for so long or you're too far gone what he'll say to you is come to me all who are weary and heavy laden all who are stressed out freaked out and burned out And you will find rest. First thing we have to do is recognize we have an enemy. You have an enemy, and he hates your guts. (laughs) Your sin nature exists, and you cannot defeat it on your own. You've heard the phrase, it's like taking a knife to a gunfight. (laughs) That's the same thing. When you try to defeat your sin, you're taking a knife to a gunfight. You're not going to win this one. Recognize you have an enemy, and it's powerful, and it's stronger than you are. If you fight it on your own, you'll lose. The second thing is to run. Run to God in worship. Actually, all you have to really do is turn around, he's right there with you. He's been there the whole time. (laughs) To worship. Cry out, as Paul says, to worship. Worship means to follow my face before a holy God. Sinful, imperfect as I am, but I follow my face before a holy God, and he receives me as a loving father. Prodigal son. My dad takes me in. He will always respond that way. He will always respond that way. And he'll begin to cut away that sin cancer that exists in your life because he knows more than you do how bad it is and how destructive it is. And then the third thing you've got to do, and this maybe is a little more difficult, you have to receive God's forgiveness. Man, the enemy is really good about playing those tapes in our mind, reminding us of what we did. And we start to define ourselves by those past sins. Some of us today, just, you just need to receive the forgiveness of God. It's available. All you have to do is come to Him. You don't have to clean up. You don't have to fix it. You can't change the past. Just admit it and receive his forgiveness. Because I think sometimes even harder that is to forgive ourselves, but he will help you to do that. You don't have to drag that dead corpse around anymore. There's a song by Corey Ashbury called The Father's House, and there's one line there just really, I love this line. Maybe we should paint this over the doors of our church. The line goes, check your shame at the door. It's not welcome anymore. You mean I don't have to live in shame anymore? Nope. Not in the Father's house. Now churches have been good about making people feel ashamed. We don't want to do that here. You can check your shame at the door. It's not who you are. It's not even welcome here anymore. If somebody tries to shame you in our church because of your sin, you let me know who they are. We'll have a come-to-Jesus meeting. No more shame. Can you imagine? What would it be like to not live with shame? What it would be like to be relieved of your guilt? That's what Paul discovered in Christ. And the fourth thing is you've got to rely on the Spirit of God for power and victory can't rely on you anymore because you can't accomplish it but you can rely on him and i don't know what that means for you maybe that means you need to talk to somebody about what's going on in your life this struggle this cycle you're in i've tried to break free i need i need help i need help i need help i need someone to step out and save me paul's words who will rescue me this identified with a soldier on the battlefield who had been wounded And he's crying out to another soldier, who will save me? Who will rescue me? Anybody here wounded? Anybody here been shot by the enemy? Anybody been hit by friendly fire? Yeah. My wounds are so deep. My scars are so long. I've had them forever. I've had them as far as I can remember. Today I want you to know they don't have to define you anymore. You can be set free today. Now the challenge I have for us for this next Sunday, for this week, sometime, when you have time to really think and process, I want to challenge you to read Romans chapter 8. We're grateful, and you'll be grateful once you do, that Paul didn't stop at chapter 7, that that Romans 7 was not the last chapter. (laughs) But you don't fully understand Romans 8 if you don't deal with Romans 7. Romans 7. Remember the first line in Romans 8? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Next Sunday, I'm actually going to jump to Romans 13. I said, once don't you read Romans 8? But next Sunday, I'm going to jump to Romans 13. We're going to talk about Christianity and politics. And next Sunday, I'm going to tell you how to vote. That was a joke, just to lighten the mood. We're going to look at what the Bible says about politics, Christianity. How do do we deal with politics in a Christian context? It's a very interesting subject. Romans 13 is a very interesting chapter. But what I want to say to you now, either here or online, you may be saying, hey, you know, I've never come to the point that I'm willing to, to turn everything over, to surrender my life to God and and ask Jesus to be the leader and the forgiver of my life. But I'm ready to do that. I know it's the right thing to do, and I'm, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of feeling like I feel. I'm tired of feeling all alone and hopeless. I need to know that I have a reason. I have purpose. I have meaning. Then I want to invite you this morning just to pray a very simple prayer with me And in this prayer, you're going to admit that you're a sinner and accept that you need God and you're going to accept and receive his forgiveness today. And you may still have questions and doubts and not fully understand what all that means and a life in Christ and what it means to be dead, to sin and alive to God. That's cool, come with your questions and doubts, but start the relationship today. If you're to that point, would you just pray this prayer with me? Father, I admit that I am a sinner. And I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died on a cross for my sin. And that three days later, you raised him from the dead. I believe in that with my heart, with my life, with all that I am. And today, God, I choose to leave my life of sin and I choose to follow Jesus. So Jesus, I invite you into my life at this moment to be the leader and the forgiver of my life. Thank you for rescuing me. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you just pray that prayer, if you're online, hey, right there in the comments section, if you would let us know how we can get in contact with you. Because you just started a journey that will carry on through eternity. But there's some next steps that you need to know about that will help solidify this decision and help you on that journey. And we're here to help you. Even if you don't live in this area, we can help you. If you're on campus and you prayed that prayer, then I would like to meet you in the connection point. Same deal. Let's talk about what just happened and let's talk about what's next. If you're a Christ follower and you've kind of arrived at that point of arrested development in your maturing process, and you'd be willing to say, I need help, I want to get out of this rut. I've been stuck here and I don't know why I need some help. I need you to pray for me. I need you to walk alongside me. I need you to mentor me. Maybe this is a point of recommitment for you today. Hey, there's some things I know I need to deal with. There's there's that cycle of sin in my life that I've just allowed to stay there and I'm ready to truly break free from that, but I need some help. I need to talk to you about it. Wherever you are on that scale, I'm gonna be in the connection point me and some other folks, and we'd love to talk to you about that. You don't have to leave today frustrated, as frustrated when you walked in. You can check your shame at the door, and you don't have to go back there anymore. Hey, that rhymes. We put that in the song. We're here to help you, because we love you. And again, kind of back to the question I asked last week, Is the life you're living right now, is that the life that Jesus died to give you? That's a very sobering question for me. And there are times I would say no. If you'd be willing to say no, this is not the life I know that Jesus died to give me. But I wanna live that life, like Paul, I wanna do what's right. I just need some help figuring that out. Please let us help you. We're not perfect, we don't have all the answers. Well, we know that Jesus is what you need. We'd love to help. Pretty good at it, honestly. God bless.